Freddie Gray, Deputy Editor of The Spectator, a weekly British magazine on politics, culture, and current affairs. And he's the editor of The Spectator U.S. edition. Freddie Gray also presents the Americano podcast. I spoke to Freddie Gray via Skype from England on April 9th, 2020. Welcome, Freddie Gray. Hello. Good to be with you, Cynthia. Well, it's a lot has changed since I spoke with you on March 24th. Um, most notably, your prime minister has been hospitalized with coronavirus. So first, how is Boris Johnson? Well, we think he's better. Um, the latest updates, official updates, are quite positive. He's responding to treatment, they say. He's sitting up, they say. He's talking to doctors. Uh, there's a little bit of alarm about the infre- infrequency of the updates. Um, I mean, a lot of people think uh, the government or Boris's closest advisors uh, are trying to kind of keep as positive a spin on it as possible. Uh, because I certainly know from my sources that on Monday night, people were very, very worried uh, that he might not make it through the night. Um, he does appear to have stabilised. He's not on a ventilator, which is sort of almost a death sentence, as far as some people make out. Uh, and he has taken oxygen um, and responded to it well. So I think he's not out of the woods, but uh, I think the news is better than it was earlier in the week. Now, if God forbid... Boris Johnson dies of COVID-19, what what happens with your government? Well, that's the real panic. And actually, it's, 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 a, it's an alarm even if he doesn't die now because, um, you know, he could need up to a month to convalesce at the height of a really serious crisis. Uh, but if he did, um, he would be replaced instantly, as he has been temporarily, by Dominic Raab, who is uh, Secretary of State. And I think it's fair to say this is not a dis to Rob, who's an who's a intelligent uh, and capable man, but I think it's safe to say you know, he, he's not someone who the country sees as a natural successor or leader. Was um, he appointed or elected? He was appointed as Secretary of State. Uh, he's elected as an MP. But he, um, uh, he ran to be leader himself, uh, against Boris and others. And he actually dropped out quite quickly and supported Boris, which is why he got um, the position of Secretary of State. Uh, But his leadership campaign didn't go anywhere at all um, for a reason that I think he's not really seen as as having what it takes. And in a time like this, uh, you need a kind of dynamic, charismatic leader. And uh, Boris was that, um, or is that. Uh, So, I mean, I don't want to get maudlin about it, but we really... Uh, want to get Boris back in fighting condition um, to uh, help the country. Who's your favourite, if it, if not uh, Dominic Raab? Well, I think well, a lot of people talk about Michael Gove. I mean, it would be sort of fascinating. I don't know if you know at all about the history between Michael Gove and Boris Johnson. Well, I read your article. That's all I know. Oh, well, that, so I'll explain it a bit. I mean, the um, Gove and Boris have, Michael and Boris have this kind of uh, extraordinary uh, love-hate history. <laughs> uh, Gove famously stabbed Boris in the back just as he was about to become Prime Minister after Brexit uh, by betraying him, by turning on him and saying he didn't support him at the last minute. This sort of unravelled Boris's uh, leadership campaign at a very crucial moment. 
Um, and then by some, because the politics of Brexit was so complicated and kind of whirly giggy, uh, that's not a word, but you know what I mean. Sure. Uh, they, um, they sort of managed to patch things up and now Gove is, is a very important minister within the government. Um, he's at the moment, he's in charge of the public sector response to the crisis, which is quite an important position. And he is, I'd say, easily the most intelligent of the four most powerful people in government at the moment. Uh, that's Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, uh, Dominic Raab, uh, the um, Foreign Secretary, Secretary of State, uh, and Matt Hancock, the Health Secretary, and then Michael Gove. And I think Gove have, has a tendency in um, sort of difficult situations or just in departments that he runs to just take charge. And I think we'll probably see him emerging. The longer Boris is out of the picture, the more we'll see him emerging as the, the sort of dynamic force of this government. Whether I want that, I, I'm not so sure. Now, how are you and your family faring? Uh, we're fine. We are uh, out of London. Uh, we're these evil people that um, retreated to a second home. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's not actually our second home. It's my mother-in-law's, but she's not here. But we're fine. We're, we're, um, we got out of London because we heard that the pressure on the NHS was going to be unbearable so we thought best to clear out plus we were going a bit mad in our small house in London so we're here we're uh, socially distancing with the, I think we're obeying all the rules I'm going for a swim in the sea which apparently is illegal oh really but uh, I'm not I'm ignoring the the police can come and pull me out the sea if they have to <laughs> yeah. well another big thing that happened since we spoke is the Queen's speech um, that was a rare public appearance watched by 24 million viewers and I was thinking about you did you watch the speech with your family I actually did not uh, I'm ashamed to say I probably should have done an enormous number of Brits did uh, and I'm, I'm always quite touched at how um, sort of Brits rally around the Queen at this stage and you know we really look to her for guidance but I'm afraid I, I don't get much sort of personal joy out of it uh, I've I, I think the Queen does a very good job, but I, I'm not one of these people who goes all dewy-eyed when she starts talking about how great the country is. But, I mean, have um, you since watched it? No, I watched, oh, I watched the clips. I watched the highlights. I didn't watch the <laughs> It's only five <laughs> minutes. I can't believe it. <laughs> That's uh, really funny because it's it was widely covered in yeah, the American well, media. I'm sure, like, probably I'm I... I'm cynic. I kind of, when... when um, <laughs> When we have these moments of sort of great national coming together, I, I tend to retreat. Well, what I was going to ask you, because I was assuming that you watched it, um, I was going to ask you how it made you feel. And uh, so I guess just your choice not to watch it is very interesting. It makes me feel like an outsider. It's, 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 <laughs> well, I, this is, um, you know, advice coming from um, a coastal elite person in the United States. Um, watch it. Okay. <laughs> it really is. Uh, watch it so that next time we talk, we can discuss it. Because I didn't watch it immediately because I just didn't choose to. I don't watch President Trump. So I'll admit, I'm not somebody who tunes into the five o'clock press briefings. I can't stand it. I'd rather listen to the summary of it or read the summary of it in the newspapers the following day. But I yeah. did watch the Queen's speech, and um, I thought it was quite moving only because she did invoke genuinely an experience of hers, you know, from World War II. And it was the World War II reference that I think people were looking for because she kind of 
you know, inspired people to think of that as not so much a relic of the past, but a moral compass going forward. So it was quite moving. Yes. I mean, I saw what she said about every generation of Brits, you know, stepping up to the challenge and showing their self-discipline and all that stuff. I mean, I, I'm afraid I, I, I don't know, maybe I was brought up to be like this, but I find I kind of, I kind of rankle slightly at that. I find it a bit backpatting, you know what I mean? What sort of back, like what kind of upbringing produced that? Oh, my father was uh, was um, not an anti-monarchist, I think, but very sort of. Um, th- there's, I think, there's a sort of uh, there's a sort of Brit who really uh, loves the royal family that leaves leaves me a bit cold. <laughs> um, I don't really know how to describe it. It's all sort of wrapped up in class stuff, I suppose. Yeah. So, is it the deplorables? Uh, no, no, I love the deplorables. I love the deplorables. Uh, but maybe it is a bit. Maybe it's a bit of snobbery on my part. I should, um, I should keep that. Now, um, so so your father was an anti-monarchist re- no, sort of. What about your mother? Uh, well, all I remember is my parents rowing a lot about Princess Diana uh, when I was little because my father uh, liked her a lot and my mother hated her. And my mother's French. So uh, they had very fierce arguments, I remember, all the time. Uh, and that's actually it's a big feature of my childhood to listen to my parents argue about Princess Diana. What was, I, I don't know, what would like the argument be that she was or was not good enough? Oh, about whether you take Charles's side or Diana's side. So my mother was very much, she's a very selfish woman. Uh, my father was like, he's a very selfish man. Uh, and it was a sort of big um, source of tension. <laughs> that's interesting well that leads me i guess to my next um area of inquiry for you freddie today and that is um your other piece that you've written uh about let's see what's it it's called um oh what's your march 29th piece called about oh. mothers i had it on my oh, notes yes. here but i can't find it yeah that's some real sentimental stuff going on there yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that the, the joke in our house is that I wrote a piece saying how great my wife is as a mother um, and how amazing she's been during this lockdown. Um, oh, here so it is. Joke... Let's applaud mothers, the real key workers. Yeah, yeah. It's very soppy stuff. Uh, but it's um, it's because uh, it, it bought me three days of not having to do any helping around the house. <laughs> Well, I was wondering if if your wife, Taffeta, who's named in the piece, uh, knew you wrote it. <laughs> uh, she did, Someone sent it to her and said, uh, so I, I got real brownie points, actually. It was very, she doesn't she doesn't normally um, uh, appreciate compliments, but uh, she was, she liked the fact that a lot of people sent it to her saying, you should read this piece, because she doesn't always read my stuff. <laughs> well, in it, I think you said that your mother had done everything for you. As a as a kid, maybe you were just exaggerating and making a joke, but that gets back to the what you were saying about the Princess Diana, um, Prince Charles, one side or the other. Um, yes. I, I think that's that's really interesting. So, I guess I'm wondering if your mother did everything for you, and that's why you can't help Taffeta around the house. Maybe isn't your mother to blame in certain? <laughs> res- <laughs> Uh, yeah, I should have explored that more deeply. Yeah. <laughs> and my other big question is: is if it's you... another good excuse for not doing anything? I can't do it. I was raised this way. <laughs> That's right. Um, and your wish in in that March twenty um, ninth piece about 
um, mothers, your your wish for your daughter, at least in the article, the implication is your wish that she become a mother and a cleaner. And so I, that <laughs> begged the question, what is your wish for your sons? We should we should clarify this before I sound like the most appalling reactionary. <laughs> Tommy has started, because she's seen uh, Tafta doing so much around the house in the last few weeks, because, we, you know, we're sort of, she's sort of homeschooling them and so on. She she now adores her mother so much that she wants to be a mother and a cleaner because she thinks that her mother <laughs> cleans so much cleaning. Uh, what do I wish for my sons? Uh, I hope that they can. Uh, oh, I don't know actually. My my young my second son is obsessed with Donald Trump. Really? Yeah. Uh, In a good he, way. He, like I'll send you I'll send you the video and uh, <laughs> uh, listeners will just have to do without it. But um, he does a lot of Donald Trump impressions, uh, and I don't, I don't know whether it's in a good way. He's kind of fascinated with him. I've, I've said it before that for my children, Donald Trump's a bit like Donald Duck. He's just kind of, <laughs> he's like a sillier and larger than life figure. Well, and this leads me to the last. You're, you've been very prolific since working at home, um, thanks to Tavita <laughs> and the children, I guess. <laughs> But on March 31st, um, you wrote that frightened people love their leaders. And at that, like, nanosecond, our President Trump was enjoying a somewhat blip in popularity. But since then, his ratings are down, unlike all of the other leaders, uh, (laughs) including, um, you know, your prime minister, um, Germany, Italy, elsewhere. So I'm curious, you cover politics in the United States. Why do you think that is? Why are Americans not so happy with President Trump's response to the coronavirus, unlike the rest of the world? Well, I wonder if he didn't make a mistake in kind of parking the crisis with Pence uh, quite early on. Um, I think there must have been some sort of decision of Pence seems very serious and sort of quite boring in a way. Uh, and that that is that he 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 conveys the right sort of attitude for coping with a serious crisis. He's a serious man for a serious crisis, uh, and of course Trump struggles with being serious. I'd say, um, but I think obviously that's had to change. He's changed that up now, and now he's very much directing the effort, or he's trying to put, get that appearance across anyway. I think maybe that was perhaps a mistake. I mean, I think with a, with a crisis this big. If you're a leader, you want to be signalling that you're taking charge all the time. I mean, the reason Cuomo is enjoying such uh, approval at the moment, uh, your governor of New York, is because he seems to be in charge um, and he's he's very effective at kind of presenting that authority and charisma in those meetings. I think Trump has struggled to do that. And I, I mean, I, I tend to think Trump will come out of this okay, but I think it's a difficult call to make. Well, Freddie Gray, we have to leave it there until next time. Cynthia, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Take care. All the best. Bye.